0: I say John 4, I meant 4 times 4, 4 plus 4, John 8, I don't know what's on my mind. It's funny, we were doing math problems in the truck on the way here this morning, and apparently I don't know my math. John chapter 8, and we're going to be there in the first 11 verses in just a moment. Last Sunday afternoon, you were probably like several other million people all around the world glued to your television sets as you watch literally one of the greatest comebacks in the history of golf. It's really one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. I mean, you think about it. Uh, There is Tiger Woods, his putt there on the 18th hole, dropping into the cup at the Masters Tournament. It was a phenomenal and a remarkable uh, just scene to watch. I mean, in that moment, Tiger secured his fifth green jacket, one behind the all-time leader, Jack Nicklaus. What made his comeback historic was not so much that he came from behind on the final day to win the tournament, something I don't believe he's ever done before, but what made it historic was was the fact that he won after such a long span of, of going really winless, especially in the Masters, and all of the things that happened in Tiger's life during that 11-year span between his fourth victory at the Masters and his fifth. See, Tiger... If you know Tiger Woods at all, you know that he was easily the best golfer on the PGA Tour for years. He was on top of the golfing world. He had won countless tournaments. He had won several majors. He was the highest paid golf player on the tour. Literally, he had become a global household name. You you didn't have to just go in America and ask if they knew Tiger Woods. You could go globally and ask if they knew Tiger Woods. And almost everyone had heard the name of Tiger Woods. 2008, things began to change for Tiger. Physical injuries and poor personal choices began to plague this golfer. Tiger, he's undergone a knee surgery. He's had several spinal surgeries. In fact, just a, a few years ago, no one thought that he would be able to play at such a high level that he was accustomed to. In fact, Tiger even questioned whether or not he would play golf again. On top of the physical struggles, Tiger's personal life was falling apart. Multiple scandals, substance abuse charges, and a high-profile divorce flooded the headlines. And so the backlash from the public was severe, and it was swift. In fact, as recently as 2013, Woods was third on a Forbes list of most disliked athletes with a 19% approval rating. He went from first to worst. In the press conference, though, this past Sunday, following his win at the Masters, one reporter asked Tiger a rather direct question. People have struggles in their lives, personal struggles, physical struggles, and you've overcome these, this reporter began carefully. What message might you say to people who are struggling? Tiger heard that question. He thought for just a moment, and he said this. Well, you never give up. That's a given. You don't give up. You always fight. Giving up's never in the equation. And as Americans, we love a comeback story. We love to root for the underdog. And today, I think it's safe to say that Tiger Woods is back on top in golf in this world. It was an incredible comeback story. But as great of a comeback story as it is, there is a greater one that I want to tell you about, share with you about this morning. Long ago at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. A man named Jesus was asked by his mother to help the host who had run out of wine. And so on that particular day, Jesus took water and he made wine. He began his ministry, launched a ministry that would last for three years. And during those years, Jesus would miraculously heal the sick. He would give sight to the blind. He would restore hearing to the deaf, feed the hungry, raise the dead, and give hope to the poor crowds obviously with this great of a message and these wonderful things that he was doing for them they began to flock to him they followed him wherever he went they pressed in to hear his teachings they even wanted to just simply touch the him and the edge of his robe he preached the coming of the kingdom of God and because of that the religious leaders of Israel became jealous and threatened by him and his ministry they plotted to get rid of him they falsely accused Jesus of blasphemy and had him crucified by the Romans on a cross. The crowds who once hailed him just days before as the coming Messiah, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, now are shouting, Crucify him. The Roman governor obliged their demand. So Jesus was crucified on a cross, crucified between two thieves. Think about that, the man who had never had a sinful thought. The man who had never spoken a sinful word, the man who had never performed a sinful action, is now being put to death as a criminal, hanging between two thieves. Jesus suffered and died on what we could estimate is Friday, April 7th, A.D. 30. His blood was shed there on that cross. As he died, his followers took his body down and laid it in a borrowed tomb. Saturday was the Sabbath for the Jews, it was also the Passover, and so no work could be done on that day. Therefore, early on Sunday morning, April 9th, A.D. 30, Mary Magdalene and some others came to the tomb to finish the burial ritual. To their amazement, they found that the stone covering the tomb had been moved. It had been rolled away, Luke 20, verse 1 tells us. They soon discovered Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And for 40 days, Jesus stayed with his disciples. Hundreds of people, the Bible tells us, witnessed him in his resurrected state. The Bible, the man who once lauded, was lauded as Messiah, who had been falsely accused, condemned to death on a cross, now is making the ultimate comeback as he's resurrected from the dead to die no more. Today is Easter, and obviously we're here to worship and to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The fact that he is no longer dead, the fact that he's not in a tomb, but he is risen and risen indeed. And so on this annual celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we gather to worship. But why? Why a resurrection? Why a crucifixion? What is the purpose in the crucifixion and the resurrection? Let me just give you a couple reasons that it, or what it isn't in our life, or what it isn't to us. You see, the purpose of the resurrection was not simply to make you and I more religious. Jesus, as God the Son, didn't come to this earth so that we could become more religious. If he wanted people to be religious, the Pharisees and the scribes and the people of Judah were religious enough. He didn't come for that. He didn't come to make us uh, give us the ability to strive harder in our life, to try to do better, to try to pull ourselves up by our own religious bootstraps and lean in more. No, he didn't come to do that. So what does the resurrection do for us? It comes through the resurrected life to give us new life. He comes to make us holy. That is the purpose of the resurrection. Jesus said it this way in John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. The Bible tells us like Adam, like Adam in the Garden of Eden, we have all sinned we've all rebelled against God. And our sin, as we've been walking through this series over the last four Sundays, culminating today, we have seen that our sin has brought nothing but shame and separation and brokenness to every facet of who we are. All of our life experiences can be categorized by shame, separation from the God who created us for himself, and brokenness in all types of ways. As a result of sin, every aspect of who you and I are today is depraved, totally corrupt and immoral and evil. There is nothing good in us of ourselves. The Bible also tells us that there's nothing we can do about the condition of our hearts. The fact that we are depraved, the fact that we are corrupt, the fact that we are evil. There's nothing we can do of ourselves to change that situation. It must be changed from outside of ourselves. And so that speaks of what we need. We don't need to try harder because how can evil try harder to be good? It's impossible. We need someone from outside to come and rescue us. And that's where Jesus, God the Son, steps in. He is our rescuer. Through his death on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. You see, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was put on the cross, the sinless Son of God bore in his body our sin, our shame, our separation, our brokenness. It was all laid upon him, and God the Father exhausted his wrath against your sin and my sin on God the Son. Jesus Christ you see what's the purpose of the crucifixion what's the purpose of the burial what's the purpose of the resurrection it's that there that Jesus would die in our place as our substitute to bear our sins before God so that we could be forgiven and brought back into relationship with him and as a result today we can be forgiven Today we can be free of sin, not because we are religious, not because we put our best on and look our best. No, we can be forgiven and free because of what Jesus and Jesus alone accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection. The two have to go together. We've talked about this. If Jesus was just crucified for our sins, then we are also in our sins still. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. If if there is no resurrection from the dead, there is no freedom from sin. Jesus was simply a martyr for us. We can't experience eternal life if we aren't also able to be resurrected from the dead through his resurrection. And so we have much to be thankful for. Jesus here in John 10 tells us about sin. He says sin steals and sin kills and sin destroys our lives. And I know with certainty that every one of us in this room today, we could go around and give testimony of how our own sinful nature, our own sinful propensities, our own sinful actions have done just that. They have killed us. They have destroyed us. They have stolen the the best in our lives. That's what sin does. But Jesus also gives us good news. He says, that's what sin does. That's what the thief comes to do. But I came to give you life. I came where there was death so that you could be made alive. See, Jesus came to die your death. He came to pay your penalty in order that he might give you new life. And not just new life, but abundant life. And sometimes we as Christians, or or maybe those who are not yet Christians, they look at us and they think, being a Christian is such a bore. No, it's not a bore. It's the abundant life. Sometimes we're not living the abundant life. That's what he comes to give us, a new life, a full life, a real life. We find a beautiful example of this in this passage here in John chapter 8. So I want you to direct your attention there. This morning, we're going to finish this series that we've been calling the story, and we're gonna culminate this series talking about your story. How does God's story become your story? We see a picture of this in this passage here in John chapter 8. We're actually gonna begin in John chapter 7, verse 53, but most of your Bibles probably included in the same paragraph. The Bible says this They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This, John tells us, they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. From this passage this morning, I want to share with you two principles, two very clear principles that we glean from this story. First, I want you to see that everyone has a sinful past. Every one of us today sitting in this room, everyone who will be in our second service at 1030 has a sinful past. You see, as Jesus was sitting here in the temple court, the Bible tells us that he was teaching the people. And the religious leaders, looking to trap him, bring a woman before him whom they had just caught in the act of adultery. They brought her before Jesus to entrap him, to trick him, to get him to trip up in his words, to bring a charge against Jesus. This woman was clearly a sinner. I mean, God's word... Uh, forbids any extramarital activities, any extramarital relationships, any sexual relationships outside the context of the four walls of a marriage, the Bible forbids and speaks against and calls it sin and gives parameters for what the Jewish people were to do with such a person. Leviticus 12, Deuteronomy 22, speak of what was to be done with such a person. And so this woman was clearly a sinner. There was no doubt that she was in a sinful relationship and experiencing sinful activity. And so the punishment, according to the word of God, was death. Jesus' response to the question about the woman's sin wasn't to dismiss her activity. wasn't to dismiss her actions. He upheld the word of God. He upheld God's law. He said in verse 7, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So what Jesus is saying here is absolutely. She's guilty as charged. There's no doubt about her sinful life. Everyone has a sinful past. And so let's stone her to death. That's what Jesus is saying here. She was a sinner. The reason she was a sinner in action is because she was a sinner by nature. And Jesus' statement here revealed something, not just that she was a sinner. This statement also revealed something that these scribes and Pharisees didn't expect when they brought this woman and tried to entrap Jesus in what his response would be. It exposed this, that they too were sinners. You see, the Bible tells us that the men, when they heard Jesus' statement, the one who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. They began to realize, I can't throw that stone. I'm a sinner. And they knew that. And so they walked away. So today we need to see clearly here that every one of us have a sinful past. Every one of us are just like these scribes and Pharisees. We can't cast a stone. We can't do anything like that because we too are sinful by nature. The Bible tells us that we all have a sinful past. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.1 that we are all dead in trespasses in sin. And so when we think about where sin originated, it originated in the garden. There in Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent came to Adam and to Eve. And he began to tempt them to think that God was holding out. He tried to help them to see and to believe that what he was bringing, what he was offering, was better. He said he was offering freedom and blessing, but all he brought... With was death and destruction. His goal was never to bring greater freedom. His goal was never to bring blessing to the, to the first man and woman. His goal was only to steal and to kill and destroy the life of God within them. And for this woman, the same was true. Sin had stolen any dignity that she might have had. She was an adulterer, and everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. They didn't know it before this. They knew it now. It was paraded before everyone. She would forever be an outcast in that society. It was very possible that the religious leaders, as they captured her in the very act, that they paraded her before Jesus, naked and bare before the whole community. It had stolen any dignity she ever might have had. Shame cloaked her life. Today, we look at our own lives and we see that shame, shame is what we're full of. For her, we also see that sin had killed her life with God. I mean, the condemnation of sin is death. That's what God told Adam in Genesis 2.17. You eat of this tree that I'm telling you not to eat of. On that day, you will surely die. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, thankfully, is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. But sin brings death sinfulness of the man and the holiness of God, when we look at them in Scripture, we see that they are mutually exclusive. One cannot have fellowship with the other. You cannot hold on to sin in your life and at the same time reach out and grab the hand of God. Sin separates you from God. We see it also in another aspect, sin had destroyed her reputation. As an adulterer, no woman would have ever trusted her around her own husband again. Think about that, ladies. Think about that, men. You would never trust someone who is a known adulterer, someone who's known in this sort of activity. She had no reputation anymore. It had destroyed her life. She would forever be known as someone who was unfaithful and untrustworthy. She had lost all credibility. Today, as we sit here, hopefully we're not adulterers. Hopefully you're not an adulterer. But I can tell you this, you do have a sinful past. Every one of us have a sinful past. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned. And fall short of God's standard. His holiness. And that sin has brought shame. It's brought separation between you and God. And it's brought brokenness to every facet of your life. You have a sinful past. Because you are a sinner by nature. And in your sin. You are shameful broken mess. Who is separated from God. That's a horrible message to share on Easter Sunday. But if I didn't share that message, it wouldn't be a full message on Easter Sunday. Because today brings us good news. Because of Easter, we've got good news to rejoice in. Because every one of us have a sinful past. But the second principle we see in this text is this. Everyone can have a forgiven future. Every one of us can have a forgiven future. After these women, this woman's accusers all left her. The Bible tells us here. John tells us here that Jesus stood up, and I picture it this way: Jesus stands up from riding on the dirt, on the ground, dro- uh, doodling in the not drooling in the dirt. That'd be weird. Doodling in the dirt. Stands up and he looks around. No one's there anymore. All the guys who were there holding their stones, just waiting just waiting for an opportunity to stone her. Just waiting to have an opportunity to trip Jesus up. They've all left now. And with grace in his eyes, Jesus looks at this woman and says, where are they? Where are they? Is no one condemning you? She says, no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more more. That's that's an amazing story. Jesus does an amazing and gracious and merciful thing here. He forgives a sinful woman, not just of this particular sin. He's forgiven her of all sin. Go and sin no more. He's indicative of what is to come, but it also speaks of what has transpired in the past. Everything, as far as the east is from the west, has been removed from you in Christ. Did the woman deserve to be forgiven? Think about it today. Do you deserve to be forgiven? No. The answer is no. None of us. She didn't deserve it. You and I don't deserve it. Uh, all she deserved to, to, to receive is the just payment for her sin. As she transgressed against God's holy standard, His holy demands upon our lives as His creation, she demanded, or her sin demanded death because of her, of her rebellion against the King. And the same is true for you and I. We look here at Jesus and the purpose for his coming. He came to be crucified, to be buried in a grave, and to be resurrected from the dead so that condemned sinners could be set free. You know, Jesus in John chapter 3, we know verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's you and I would believe in him, should not perish, but have eternal life in him. That is the verse that we memorize, but do you know verses 17 and 18? Jesus says something like this, I came not to condemn sinners, I came to set them free. I came to give them new life. That's the reason I came. You see, we don't need to be condemned by Jesus. Our sin has already condemned us. And so Jesus came not to condemn, Jesus came to pardon. He came to forgive. He came to purchase our freedom by dying in our place, paying our penalty for sin. He came to make it possible so that we could have a forgiven future. How does that happen? That's the question of the hour. How does it it take place that we can have a forgiven future, be released from our sinful past? How can we have a right relationship with God, our creator? Look what the Bible says the woman did in verse 11. She says, no one, Lord. Simple answer, simple phrase, simple statement. Profound theology. She says, no one, Lord. In response to his gentleness, in response to his grace, what does she do here? She faiths into Jesus. I don't know if you caught it, but there's a stark contrast between what the Pharisees and scribes did when Jesus says, let the one who has no sin cast the stone. What did they do? They all dropped their stone and walked away from Jesus. The woman there standing condemned before the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who would give his life for hers. What does she do? She says, No one, Lord. Rather than leaving, rather than mocking, rather than being upset because they missed out on entrapping him, she faiths into Jesus. She didn't walk away. She refers to him as Lord. It's significant that she says Lord. It's significant that she stayed in his presence. Confession and repentance and surrender are all wrapped up in this short statement she gives to the Lord. You see, she knew she was a sinner. And she knew Jesus knew she was a sinner. There's no escaping it. She also understood that to call on Jesus meant that her life must change. So repentance, a change in lifestyle, had to be uh, representative of who she is and who she would be the rest of her life. It had to be a reality. And finally, she was fully aware that Jesus was not a genie she could call on when she was in a jam. How many of us today as Christians, our call upon Jesus is only when we can't do it ourselves? Anybody like that would testify? There's times in my life where I treat the Lord like that. Where I'm in a jam and I can't get out of it and, and there's no one else to go to. And so what do you do? You get on your knees and you, 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 you act like the man on the, in the foxhole on the battlefield. You're, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do whatever. And all of a sudden when we get out of the jam, we go right back to where we're living. That's what this woman was not going to do. She, Jesus was forever going to be her Lord and her master and her savior. Like the woman today, when we confess our sinfulness, when we repent of that sin, when we surrender to the lordship of Jesus in our own life, we can and we will experience the forgiveness of all sin and have a forgiven future. Being able to walk out of a sinful past and into a forgiven future. When you look at the story of Jesus, we can easily see that it's the greatest comeback story of all time. Think about it. When Jesus was crucified and placed in that grave, the religious leaders thought they had removed a threat. Pilate, the governor of Rome for that province, believed that he had silenced a revolt. And Satan, the one orchestrating the whole thing, thought that he had killed God. That's just moronic to think about. How can you kill God? But that's what he thought. All three of these parties were wrong. Men might have crucified Jesus, but the Bible clearly tells us that he willingly put himself on the cross. His body was placed in a tomb, but the grave could not hold him. And three days later, what we celebrate today and every Sunday is that Jesus stood up. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Why? So that we could have life and have life abundantly. This morning, do you see how good Easter is? You see how good Easter is? We have a faith that is in God who is not a religious philosophy. is not a good idea. He's not a good moral man that we kind of look at for inspiration. No, he is the God who created us. The God who died for us so that we could have life. That is good news. Big question before us this morning. Have you embraced that good news? I want, as we close here, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want you to put yourself in this story. This story here in John 8. Put yourself there. Think of yourselves in this woman's place. Satan is dragging you. He's those religious people. He's dragging you before Jesus. And he says this, this man, this woman, this kid right here, look what he or she's done. They've sinned against you. They've broken your law. They've transgressed your command. And the word of God, your your law, your word, God, says that they deserve death. What say you, God? Jesus, you know what he'd say? He'd say basically the same thing he said to this lady. Absolutely, her sin deserves the punishment of the law, deserves death. But there's good news. I died in her place. I died in that kid's place. I died in that senior adult man's place because I love him. Because I love this man, I love this woman, because I love this child. You may stand there, Satan, and condemn them, and they are rightly condemned because of their sin. But because of my love for them and my grace toward them, I am putting myself in their place to exhaust the wrath of God against their sin in my own body. Yes, they deserve it, but I love them too much to let them experience it. And today I offer forgiveness. Today I don't condemn. Today I offer life to them. Put yourself in the store this morning. Have you received the gift of God of eternal life? Have you experienced forgiveness of sin? Have you experienced new life in Jesus? Today on this Easter Sunday morning, I can't think of anything better to do than to say yes to the story of God and allow Him to make it your story. We're going to have a time of imitation, a response time, if you will, in just a moment. Nick and some of our team are going to come up and they're going to play some music. And, and this is an opportunity. We're going to stand to our feet after I pray. And, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to invite you to come to the, fore, to the front. I'm going to invite you as a Christian. Maybe God has spoken into your life. You just want to celebrate Jesus. You feel like you need to pray. Maybe you need to come forward and do that. And just get down here and, and just spend some time with the Lord, worshiping him at these steps. Making it an altar unto the Lord. I'm going to encourage you to do that. But This morning, if you are not in relationship with Jesus, perhaps you've realized it for the very first time in your life today. Maybe you're the religious kid that so many of us have been, and you're all of a sudden beginning to realize, I am lost. I'm the religious Pharisee that's standing there, and I've got nothing to show in my life except for sin. And today you need a life redeemed by Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe this is your first time you've ever darkened the door of a church, you've never heard the gospel before, never heard the name of Jesus before, but through the Spirit of God, it's resonating with your heart. I want to invite you to come, and we're going to get you with one of our encouragers. Someone's going to take you out. They'll take a little pamphlet with you. They'll talk through the gospel that I've shared this morning and help you and walk you into a life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for what you've done for us thank you for Easter thank you today in Israel there's an empty tomb we thank you that nearly 2,000 years ago a couple days before that tomb was filled there was a savior entering the city of Jerusalem the savior went to the cross blood was shed death was made payment was offered so that we could be forgiven this morning as we sit in this room on this day I pray for every person who's not in relationship with Jesus that today as the Bible says would be the day of salvation for them God they would be resurrected out of the deadness of their spiritual life into a resurrected new life in Jesus sinful past moved out of the way a forgiven future with them presently and before them for the rest of their life God help that man, that woman, that child this morning who desperately needs to know you to say yes to Jesus. God I pray that no one today would be like those Pharisees and, and realize I'm a sinner. I'm undone. There's something wrong with me. I'm not right. But like those Pharisees and scribes, walk away. Father, may we be like this woman who stays in the presence of Jesus and says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. I need your presence in my life. God, help us as Christians here. Maybe Christians walk into a guilty distance to do the same thing. Lord, I don't want to walk in sin. I don't want to walk in shame. I don't want to experience the brokenness that sin brings. I want to experience the life and the abundancy that God so so desires to give me. Bless this time, Lord. As we've prayed for weeks, for this moment, may we respond in faith, respond in repentance of sin. We pray in Jesus' name.